This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. Welcome back to Worth Recovery, a podcast featuring women and sex addiction. My name is Amy. I'm a recovering sex addict, and I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012. I'm glad that you are back with us today. Today's episode 70. I'm super excited about some of the topics and the interviews that we have coming up. These are going to be awesome. So I'm excited that you're here and excited that you're joining us. Today, like I said, is episode 70, and our title is Stop Objectifying Me. This is a request episode. I had a woman reach out to me and ask for some information about objectification, about how to stop it, about what it is, and I'm excited to bring some of the research and the information I found as well as some of my own experiences. This is a really big topic and I'm excited to be able to talk about it with you. Before we get too far, let's do two things. One, I want to share with you just a grateful moment, just a quick one. Today, I'm grateful for fall. I had a great discussion with a woman lately about fall, about seasons really, and about how every season has something to teach us. Fall teaches us how beautiful it can be to let go. I hope you have that experience this fall, that you can see the beauty in letting go of things as the world lets go of leaves and things around us. I hope that you can see that beauty this fall. I am grateful for fall and for the beautiful weather that it brings and for the opportunity that I have to let go. The second thing I wanna do before we get into our content today is just a few quick announcements. Just a reminder that registration has begun for our event coming up in January, Engaged in the Struggle. That's the theme of our Worth Recovery event in Salt Lake City, Utah on January 21st, 2017. I know that seems like a ways away, but it's not really. It's just three short months. We already have a number of women registered, so don't delay too long. Get your ticket now. Early bird pricing is only available until December 1st, so make sure that you do that. Our lineup is totally amazing. You can find all the details on our website, www.worthrecovery.com. And before we move forward, of course, I want to give a big shout out to our Worth Warriors. You ladies are amazing. When a woman reaches out for help in addiction, it's my mission to provide the voice and the hand of a woman to reach back. Worth Warriors, you make that possible. I love you ladies so much. It takes a lot of time to write, produce, edit, and post each of these podcast episodes. You ladies who contribute monthly as a Worth Warrior, you guarantee that this podcast continues to remain free for all the women out there, and I can't thank you enough for that. If you've been enjoying what you're learning, if you're a regular listener, if this podcast has helped you even just a little bit, then get on the website and become a Worth Warrior. There are special perks and discounts for our Worth Recovery events. You can join the Worth Warriors for as little as $4 a month. That is a little bit less than 50 cents an episode. So get on the website, look for the Worth Warriors logo, and join the movement. You can find all of that information about our Worth Recovery event and about the Worth Warriors on our website, www.worthrecovery.com. 
Now, let's jump into our topic. I'm really excited about this one today. Okay, so objectification is a big topic. It's a super big topic. It's going to take us some time to talk through it all. It can range from incredibly subtle comments to outright dehumanization. For me, I feel like this is something that has been going on my whole life, but it hasn't been until recent years that I really understood it for what it was and for how it makes me feel. Like I said, this is a request topic from a woman in my support circle, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to really examine this and look at it for what it is. This has been on my mind actually for a while, even before I got this request, because of two things that have happened recently. First, I had a conversation with a friend about something she was dealing with in therapy. Her therapist challenged her about something and essentially said, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, you're only seeing the poster version of this person. We had a conversation topic about it and it struck home for me because when I was younger, when I was a young girl, my room was plastered, and I mean plastered, in posters of new kids on the block. That might age me a little bit, but I'm totally good with that. I even had a life-size poster of Joey. Yes, I was a total, total fangirl, and I even went to their concert just a few years ago. Yeah, don't judge me. Okay. Anyway, I know what that means, a poster version of the person. I instantly understood what her therapist meant. The poster version of someone is only two-dimensional. They are always happy, always doing what you want them to do, always look perfectly. I only get one view of that person, and it's always the perfect, beautiful view. Her therapist was challenging her to look at people from the 360-degree view, from multiple directions, looking at people as the complex human beings that they are, not the two-dimensional poster version that you might hang on your wall. So that was the first thing that happened to me that I've just been thinking about. The second was this. A few months ago, the Primetime Emmy Awards show happened. Now, I'm not an awards show fan. (laughs) I've never watched an awards show like all the way through. Just not really my thing. However, the next morning I was at the gym and the news I was watching was highlighting two of the awards from the evening before. They showed Julia Dreyfus receiving her seventh Emmy for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Comedy Series. She gave a moving speech about her growth as an actress and dedicated her performance and her award to her father, who had passed away just two days prior. It was emotional and beautiful, and I was moved. The second clip they showed was of Sarah Paulson, who played Marcia Clark in the FX series The People vs. O.J. Simpson. I haven't seen it, but I was moved by Sarah Paulson's acceptance speech. As she talked about how she felt the world had really misjudged Marcia Clark, the prosecutor of the O.J. Simpson murder case. Again, it was emotional and beautiful, and I was moved. These two beautiful, emotional, moving speeches were the only two highlighted from the awards. And though I'm not familiar with the awards very much, not super familiar with these works, the work of these two actresses either, I felt inspired and better for having seen them. They move back to the newscasters after showing these two clips. And the first thing out of the man's mouth is this. Why do we even care about what they said? Did you see those dresses? It's all about the dresses. My stomach instantly started to churn. I felt sick. 
I feel the same sick feeling right now, just recounting what was said. The two female anchors laughed and made comments about how beautiful the dresses were, and my sick feeling deepened as I watched this. Here were two beautiful, talented, sensitive, amazing women, accomplished women. One had just lost her father and was sharing her grief with us. And one who was making a public apology for the world to a woman who she felt was deeply misjudged. And someone was taking all of that goodness and love and dismissing it and rejecting it. These women had been publicly objectified. They had been presented as an object, reduced to the physical senses of sight and touch. I felt sick and angry, more angry than sick. And even as I recount this experience, the anger boils up for me again. These two experiences, plus the request for a discussion on objectification, led me to do some reading and some research. Let's see if I can use what I've learned and experienced to pull it apart a little bit and put some definitions and context to it. So let's start. If you go straight to dictionary.com and type in the word objectify, it will give you the following definition. To present as an object, especially of sight, touch, or other physical sense, to externalize. To present as an object, in essence, Anytime we objectify someone, man or woman, we present them as an object. We reduce them to the externals, to the physical senses of sight and touch. We put them on a poster and say, you are only two dimensions. This example of the newscaster and the Emmy Awards is just one small example and one we are probably most familiar with, the reducing of people to their appearance. But objectification is much, much bigger than that and much, much deeper than that. In her book, Sex and Social Justice, Martha Nussbaum, a professor at the University of Chicago and a well-respected American philosopher, puts some definition and context to this concept of objectification. She defines seven qualities that are involved in treating a person as an object. A few years later, Ray Langton published a book of philosophical essays on pornography and objectification and added three more qualities to the list. So these two lists combined make 10 qualities. And this is what I would like to use to begin this discussion on objectification. I challenge you to open your minds and hearts and really think about these ideas. Though society talks about the sexual objectification of women by men fairly openly, there is much, much more to objectification than just that. It has been my experience that some of the worst objectification that I've experienced happens by women towards other women. I also believe that we objectify ourselves to a very unhealthy degree. So as you listen to these 10 qualities, I want you to ask yourself these two questions. One, how do I do this to myself? And second, how do I do this to others? I'll give you some examples as we go along, but really think about this. How do I do this to myself and how do I do this to others? I also want to just add a quick disclaimer real quick. We're going to talk about a few examples. Ladies and men, I know that there are hundreds more, okay? But we're just going to talk about a few examples of these 10 qualities. So let's start. The first of these 10 qualities is what Nussbaum calls instrumentality. And this is defined as, quote, 
treating the person as a tool for another's purposes, close quote. When I think about that, the phrase a means to an end comes to mind when I think of this quality. A tool in and of itself has no value. The value in a tool is what it allows us to accomplish. Tools are left sitting on shelves or in sheds for periods of time, sometimes days, weeks, months, or even years. And until we need it to accomplish something, we don't think about it. We don't invest time, money, effort, or emotion into the tool. I've had that experience where I left a tool sitting in a box for years. It was six years to be exact. And then when I needed it, I went through boxes looking for it over and over again. I was so happy to find it, yet it didn't work. It had gotten stuck in a certain position and wouldn't move. I was angry. I bought this tool and spent money on it and it should work when I wanted to work it, whenever I want to work, exactly the way I want it to work. Now with some WD-40, I loosened it up and it worked again for me without a problem. But sometimes we treat others this way. And when we do, when we treat them this way like tools, we leave them on shelves or in boxes for long periods of time and then expect them to work exactly how they should work when we pick them back up. When we do this, we're objectifying them. We do this to ourselves as well. And we also do it to others. I think of a woman at church recently who said to me, I only see my adult children when they need money from me. (laughs) Do you have relationships like that? People who only pick you up and acknowledge you when they need something? Or vice versa. Maybe you have people who you only pick up and acknowledge when you need them as a tool, when you need something from them. That would be objectification through instrumentality. So think about it for a second. Reflect. How do I treat myself as an instrument? How do I treat others as instruments? Think about that. Okay, let's talk about the second quality. The second quality is denial of autonomy. Nussbaum defines this as, quote, treating the person as lacking in autonomy or self-determination, close quote. Having autonomy, the right and freedom to determine my own life and choices is essential to defining my sense of self or defining who I am as a person. Objectification happens when we deny ourselves or others the freedom to determine our own lives. And that includes everything from their own opinions, their own taste, their own fashion sense, their own conversation style, their own vocabulary. When we deny them that ability to self-determine, we are objectifying them. Objectification in this area can be very subtle. From choosing a profession because our father or mother insisted, determining that that was our path without giving us an option, all the way to the other end of the spectrum with child slavery and human trafficking. I think of women and men that I know who as adults have identity crises. They look back in their lives and feel like they don't know who they are. They feel like decisions were made for them and they just followed along. Now, maybe they didn't really take an active part in the decision-making process, or maybe they were guilted or shamed into a certain pathway, or still maybe they are just doubting themselves. I'm not saying every midlife crisis is a form of objectification or a result of objectification or a denial of autonomy. What I am saying is that this can happen a lot without us realizing what's going on. Think for a second. How do I deny my own autonomy, my own self-determination? How do I objectify others by denying their autonomy or their self-determination? Now, the third quality is inertness. This is defined as, quote, treating the person as lacking in agency, close quote. 
Agency here is defined as the ability to have power of action. We objectify people by treating them as lacking in agency, treating them like they have no power of action. You might think this sounds close to the second quality, denying, denying of autonomy, and it is, but it is slightly different. In denial of autonomy, you treat the person like they have the power to make things happen. You just objectify them when you determine what those things should, quote unquote, should be. I think of a woman going to college with a father saying, you will become a doctor. You will follow the path I have laid out for you. You don't get to decide that medicine isn't for you. You can make this happen. Go make it happen. That would be objectification through denial of autonomy. I had a roommate like that who really didn't like medicine, but that was the determined path. Objectification by inertness happens when we treat the person like they cannot do anything, like they have no power to do anything for themselves. How do you do this to yourself? How do you treat yourself like you have no power? Sometimes it happens when we refuse to make decisions, when we don't make decisions. Sometimes it happens when we make decisions for other people. We treat them like they don't have any power and that they cannot do anything of themselves. So we say things like, oh, you can't do that for yourself, so I have to do it for you. That's objectification. So how do you do this to yourself and how do you do it to others? The fourth quality is violability. Nussbaum defines this as, quote, treating a person as lacking in boundary integrity and violable as something that is permissible to break up, smash, break into, close quote. Violability comes from like the word violate, right? Or violated. This is one that is typically clear for people. Objectification by violability happens every time you set a boundary, whatever that boundary may be, doesn't matter, and someone continually breaks that boundary or smashes it and breaks into it. Theft is a form of objectification by violability, breaking people's boundaries by breaking into their homes or stealing their things. Another clear example here is when someone says no and the other person does it anyway or pushes that boundary. Maybe you've had this happen to you. I have. You say no to a man, this is going too far, I don't want to do this, and they back off for a second, only to try it again no more than a minute later. That is objectification. I've said no, but they view me as lacking in boundary integrity. This happens every time we perpetuate the lie that women say no, but really mean yes, and vice versa, because I do know that it happens the other way. On all levels, this totally feels sick. For me, this is one of the ones that just instantly makes my stomach churn. When you've set a boundary and someone continually crosses it, you are being objectified. Think about this one. Where do you do this to yourself? Where do you set boundaries for yourself and continually break and cross them all of the time? How do you objectify others by viewing them as lacking in boundary integrity or by pushing their boundaries? This, that can be a tough one for people. Boundary, integrity, objectification through viability. Now, the fifth quality is ownership. This is defined as, quote, treating the person as if they can be owned, bought, or sold, close quote. I'm sure you can think of very clear examples of this one, where people are bought, owned, or sold. The big examples we deal with in our society, again, make my stomach churn, human and sex trafficking, this can also happen on a much smaller scale, though. A spouse maybe says to the other, I can have sex with you whenever I want. I own you. Or I work all day and make the money here. And when I come home, you owe it to me to have dinner ready. 
I've seen both of these situations and they aren't pretty. There are many more examples, I'm sure. So reflect for a minute. How do you objectify yourself through ownership? And how do you objectify others through ownership? Ownership being treating a person as if they can be owned, bought, or sold. The sixth quality is denial of subjectivity. Nussbaum defines this as, quote, treating the person as if there is no need for concern for their experiences or feelings, close quote. Denial of subjectivity is important in some things. In science, in the law, in mathematics, in research, objectivity is paramount. When, however, we are dealing with individuals, with people, it is important that we acknowledge the person's experiences and feelings. We objectify people when we treat them as if their experiences and feelings are simply not valid. We do this when we repeatedly say things like, you shouldn't feel that way. You shouldn't feel that way. I hate that phrase. Don't tell me how I should or should not feel. (laughs) You shouldn't feel that way is a form of objectification. When we continually try to one up or even one down someone, when we say things like, wow, if you think that's bad, let me tell you about what happened to me. We're objectifying them. We're denying the subjectivity and the concern of their experiences. Or when we're talking about someone and we think in our heads, wow, your experience doesn't count because it's so far removed from my own. Again, denying the subjectivity of that person. We objectify them by denying their experiences or feelings and treat them as objects rather than the complex, multifaceted people that they are. We are turning them into posters. So think, how do I do this to myself? How do I deny my own subjectivity? Maybe I deny my own feelings. Maybe I deny my own experience. Maybe I discount my own experiences. And how do I do this to others? How do I deny others' feelings and others' experiences? The seventh and final quality Nussbaum defines is fungibility. Isn't that, I think that's kind of a weird word. Fungibility, it's F-U-N-G-I-B-I-L-I-T-Y. And it means, quote, this is treating the person as interchangeable with other objects, close quote. This would happen when we say, if you've seen one, you've seen them all, right? (laughs) This is the case where an employer says, I can get anyone off the streets to come in and do this. Or we can get a machine to do what you're doing. You're not that important. We again look past the feelings, the complexity, the uniqueness we all have as human beings, and we think anyone or anything could do the job. I have felt this way at work before, that I was expendable, that a machine could do my work. And I'll tell you, it's not a great feeling. I think we do this when we resort to fantasy during sexual connection. We're exchanging the one that we are with with someone else. You've seen one, you've seen them all, right? So reflect on this for a second. How are you objectifying yourself by seeing yourself as interchangeable? How are you doing this to others? Now, these are the seven qualities of of objectification that Martha Nussbaum outlined. A few years later, Ray Langton, another philosopher and a professor at Cambridge and MIT, added three more to her list through her new book, Philosophical Essays on Pornography and Objectification. Now, these three have particular reference to sexual objectification. So I just want to finish these three out here. The eighth quality of objectification is reduction to body. 
Langton defines this as, quote, the treatment of a person as identified with their body or body parts, close quote. This is probably self-explanatory. It happens when we treat a person based on their body or body parts. This is one of the most common forms of objectification I deal with in the sexual addiction circles I work in. We usually call it body parting. We treat someone differently because of the shape of their arms, legs, butt, chest, head, ears, feet, hands, whatever it is. We stop seeing the whole person. All we see is the body part. This also happens a lot in the media. Anytime you see an ad with rather than the whole person, you only see a certain part of their body, their chest, the cleavage, the butt, whatever it is. When we only see a certain part of a body rather than the whole person, we're objectifying that person. We may also make fun of somebody because of these parts. Maybe we refuse to engage with them based on certain body parts that they have. Being very tall myself and knowing lots of other tall men and women, I know some of these that are scarred, like literally scarred because of some of the things that were said to them as their body grew. When you grow pretty tall, sometimes you're ill-proportioned for a while and people say things about that. Maybe your parents, maybe your friends. And when we reduce someone to their body parts, we take away their humanity And these people can be scarred because of the things that we say. So reflect for a minute. How do you do this to yourself? Are you obsessed with one part of your body? How do you do this to others? Do you say things like, I'm a butt girl, right? I only look at butts. Or if you're a man, you know, I know lots of men who say, I'm, you know, I'm a leg man, right? It's all about the legs. When we do those things, we objectify. So think and reflect on your own for a second. How do I do that? The ninth quality is reduction to appearance. And this is defined as, quote, the treatment of a person primarily in terms of how they look or how they appear to the senses, close quote. Now, this is really closely related to body parting, but it's simply the reduction to appearance, to eye candy, I don't know a woman alive who hasn't felt in this in some way or another. I can't speak for men. I'm not trying to leave them out here. I just don't know, as most of the work that I do is with women. But there is not a woman that I know who hasn't felt this in one way or another. It comes in the sizing up glance. You know, when you walk up to a group of people and someone does the look you all the way down to the shoes and then all the way back up, the once over. Or the, I don't care if you don't feel well, just smile and look pretty. Every time we do that, we're reducing someone to appearance. We're objectifying them. When we reduce people to their appearance, we are dehumanizing them. We objectify them. I do this to myself all of the time when I think things like, I'm not pretty enough to run a podcast. (laughs) I've thought that before. Or I'm not pretty enough for people to listen to me or have any value in what I say. This is something that I struggle with, this reduction to appearance. How do you do this in your own life? How do you reduce yourself to your appearance? How do you do this to others? How do you objectify others by reducing them to appearance? Now, the 10th and final quality is silencing. And this is defined as, quote, the treatment of a person as if they are silent, lacking the capacity to speak, close quote. I was at a retreat for sex addicts just about a year ago, actually almost exactly a year ago. 
During one of the Q&A sessions with the speaker, who was a male, an attendee, who was also a male, asked this question. How do we make our meetings more friendly for women to attend? How do we help make it a safe place for female sex addicts? That's a great question. I'm glad we're going to have that discussion. However, the male speaker openly admitted that women do not attend the meetings that he attends. And then he started to discuss this with the man who asked the question. Now, after a few minutes, I just couldn't handle it anymore. My hand shot straight up in the air. After a few more minutes, I was acknowledged and said, If you want to know how to make your meetings more friendly for women, why don't you try asking some of the women who attend your meetings? Or you could ask some of us that are here today. There were about eight or ten of us there. They went back to their discussion and never even acknowledged what I said. That is an example of silencing. (laughs) They were asking questions about women. And here we had a woman ready to answer their questions and engage with them. And yet I was treated as if what I said never even happened. And the discussion went on about women and women's needs by men. When we speak for others as if they have no voice or lack the capacity to speak for themselves, we are objectifying them. This is just one example. There's also, um, in my research, I found a research project that was done in 2011. I'll, find, I'll put the link on the website. This shows that only 17.5% of children's books have a female character's name in the title. So 17.5% have a female character name. But 36.5% have a male name in the title. More than double have a male name in the title. Some, the same study shows that 33% of books published, this was in 2011, contained a central female character. So 33%, one third of the books. However, 100% of the books published contained a male central character. 100%. Women are being silenced. So think about this one. This last and final quality is silencing. How do you do that to yourself? Do you speak up for your own needs and your own desires? How do you do this for other people? Do you silence other people? How do you objectify them through silencing? That was a long list. Thanks for hanging in with me for all of these 10 qualities of objectification. I know that these are just a few of hundreds of examples that we could give of objectification. I hope you start looking at this beyond just sex and bodies, though if you start there, that's awesome. We need to talk more about it. Anything that we do that reduces someone to a poster version, to the two-dimensional flat version of a person is objectifying. In our next episode, we will talk about the effects of objectification and also some ideas on how we can stop objectifying and stop doing it to ourselves and to others. As always, ladies, I hope you remember that no matter what is going on in your life, no matter how far you think you've gone, no matter how you feel in this moment, you are worth recovery. 100% worth it. I know that. Keep up the fight. Don't forget you can support Worth Recovery by being a Worth Warrior. If this podcast has helped you even a little bit, if you think it's worth 50 cents, get online, join the movement. All the details are on the website, worthrecovery.com. I think about you, I pray for you, and I love you. Until next time, Amy.
legal stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.